0: Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue Kingdom of God justice. Uh, you know, let me ask you a question. Why, do you ever question like why we spend so much time singing in church? Have you ever, have you thought about that? I, many of us have been around church for a long time, and so we're kind of used to it. It's like the expected thing that we do, right? Um, but what we do is actually one of the more, like, culturally unique things that we do in church. We all face one direction. We stare at a wall or at a person who's up here who's leading us in a song while we read the words from the screen like it's karaoke. And then we, like, some of us raise our hands or, like, there's even a few that, like, jump around and stuff like that. There is, other than concerts, which... We pay lots of money to go and do this at. There are like no other spaces in our society where we do the same thing, right? It's pretty unique to church. So, why do we have these focused sing along times? uh, If we're going to give it kind of a blunt uh, reality name to it, what is this all about? Well, I'm going to take the really long path around to answer that question, as every good preacher should, right? Uh, So, but I will give you a heads up, I am about to get serious pretty quick. So uh, thinking about this, I I realized, you know, as I was thinking about worship and kind of why we do it, I was also thinking this week and the past two weeks about what's been in the news. And what's been in the news has been leaving me pretty regularly speechless, And I'm sure many of you could understand that and would agree with that. It's been brutal, like brutal over the past couple of weeks. May 14th, uh, just two weeks ago, in a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, Roberta Drury and Margus Morrison and Andre McNeil and seven others were murdered as they went to go get apples and bread. Just the most like mundane thing. And their life ended. The next day... There was a church lunch in Orange County, California, for senior citizens, is what it seems like, when a gunman took out a gun and went to shoot people, and Dr. John Chang took him, tackled him, and and took him out, ended up losing his life in the process, and he was just there because he had taken his mom, this like 80 or 90-year-old woman, to this lunch at church. And then this past Tuesday, at a school in Uvalde, Texas, uh, Jose Flores and Anne Marie Jo Garza and Irma Garcia and 17 other children and one other teacher were murdered learning how to read or adding and multiplying. The most like mundane things were places for like senseless. Violence that left 30 people in 10 days dead. Like, speechless. What do we do with this? You know, when things like this happen, there is a common question that gets thrown out to people like you and me who follow Jesus. How in the world do you believe in a God who's good when this is happening? And that is a really good question. And it's a painful question when we see what it is that we've seen happening across our country in random spots, not all centralized, all over. How do we deal with it? Sometimes I feel like I just don't have the language necessary to answer them when this question gets thrown out there. And, and I think, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't have the words necessary to tell you like, how I believe that God is good in the face of this, except to say, I know that God isn't like that. I know that God isn't okay with that, with this senseless violence and death. I know that that's not who God is, and that God would never go along with that, that that's not his plan. And I struggle, just like they're saying, to see him clearly. When I read things like that, when I see the names, when I process through the realities of what's going on. But the truth is, is that I know nothing and no one better. And that's where I come to at the end of it. It's like Peter, when Jesus uh, gave a particularly hard teaching and everybody left him. Because it was too uncomfortable and they weren't sure what it was that he was really getting at. It was just a weird thing. And Jesus looks at his disciples. He's like, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter looks at him. He's like, Jesus, where else am I going to go? You're the one who brings life. And in moments like we've had this week, that's what I start to think. Like, Jesus, I don't know where else to go. You're the one who brings life. Tuesday as I read that news and I saw the names. Wednesday when I dropped my kids off at school. And I wasn't afraid, but it just felt weird. I don't know if you have kids, grandkids. Like, you probably can relate to that. It just felt weird on Wednesday. Nothing felt quite right. In those times when I don't have the words when I'm not quite sure what it is that I'm supposed to say and do, I need to be in the presence of someone who knows me and who I know. In moments like that, worship seems like the only appropriate answer. When I don't have the words, I just need to acknowledge that he's God and I need to encounter him right now. I need to be in the presence of Jesus. Because in worship, I focus on the greatness and the holiness of who God is. I admit that I'm finite and that I need Jesus because he's not finite. And that's really good news. In worship, I don't receive all the answers, as we all are very well aware. But I do receive things that matter, like peace, like love, like hope. And I need those in times like this. This morning, we're continuing our series called Growing Deeper, and I obviously want to talk about worship and why it is that we worship. You know, I believe that worship requires movement. It's active. It's not a passive stance, although sometimes we might act like it is. But it's an act of submission, of of placing ourselves before the throne of God and going before him and declaring who he is and what it is that he's done and acknowledging that we need him. It's a deep acknowledgement that God is God and that I am not. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us the exact way to worship although people have tried to say that it does many, many times. Like, they try and say that everything that the Bible that doesn't actually say, you know, we've created a lot of theologies off of things that aren't actually in there, but that's a story for a different day. Uh, but it doesn't actually tell us exactly, it doesn't tell us which songs that we have to sing, which is, you know, but it does give us the psalms, right? 150 chapters, 150 songs in the middle of the Bible that are kind of a guidepost for how to worship. There are songs of of joy, and there are songs of pain. There's songs of, of requesting justice and songs of acknowledging mercy, songs that are from the perspective of God to us and songs that are from perspective of us to God. There's songs uh, of deep gratitude and thankfulness, and there's these really, really long songs that detail out every single thing that the writer uh, has seen God do that we read through and we're like, wow, that's a lot. That's a long song. You know, there's one of the psalms that's 176 verses. Thank God that we don't sing that on Sundays, right? That would be a little bit intense. You know, 176 would take a while. But we need all of these types of songs. We need a variety because our lives are filled with a variety of realities, right? We don't live through just one time, all, one, one certain circumstance all the time, thankfully. There's all sorts of realities as we live through life. We need songs of gratitude and we need songs of pain. Friends, true worship is honest about God and about us. True worship is vast because our experiences are vast and the God that we worship is vast and complex in the very best ways. True worship is, I think, emotive because we're emotional people and we need to express our emotions in healthy ways to a God who understands that and who created us that way. True worship is God-focused because God is God alone, and I am not, and that's a really good thing, and we need to acknowledge that. We need to focus on him. Worship isn't a warm-up. It's not a warm-up for this sermon. It's not a warm-up for ministry time. It's not a helpful tool for stirring up our emotions. It's about Jesus. That's what worship is. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, I actually toned down his language in this because I wasn't sure that my wife would appreciate me saying everything that he said. So uh, if you've heard this quote before, you might be like, I know that he says other words than that, and that's true. Uh, but he says that we need to understand that worship is for the king. I've been in church for a long time, and I've heard people say, I don't get anything out of worship. And I say, listen, it isn't about you getting anything out of it. It's about worshiping God, the only one worth worshiping. It isn't about you getting anything out of it. It's about God. Worship transforms the way that we look at life. And I need my vision transformed over and over and over again. And so I need to be in the presence of Jesus, worshiping him over and over and over again. I need to sing words like we find in the Psalms that fit for all different sorts of phases and parts of life. And I need God to respond. And worship is also this beautiful place of intimacy where we come before the throne of God and the line between heaven and earth gets a little bit fuzzier and we start to see Jesus just a little bit more clearly. And I think we all need that if we want to grow in our relationship with Jesus. Where we can share who it is that we are and receive learning more and more about who he is. Worship leads us to that beautiful place. As we pray, and then we're going to jump into one of the Psalms, I want to pray uh, Zephaniah 3.17 over us uh, as we start off. So if you'll pray with me. Jesus, I thank you that you are the Lord, that you're our God, and that you are here living among us. Thank you that you are a mighty Savior. Thank you that you take delight in us with gladness that with your love that you calm our fears, especially in weeks like this. And I pray that you bring a calming to any anxiety that the realities of this week have brought. God, I pray that you renew us with your love. Thank you that you rejoice over us. And in weeks like this, thank you that you meet us in pain and struggle. And I just pray right now for the families, the friends, those... Uh, the other students uh, and teachers who were in the building who are processing the realities of what happened, the people who were at the grocery store in Buffalo, the other people who were in that church, people who are dealing with the realities following that. I pray that you will bring comfort, that you'll bring peace, that you'll bring your love to them. Jesus, we do pray that you will change the angry, violent realities of our world. We don't know what the answers are completely. We know that you need to move, that we require your movement in our world. And so we ask for that. Come, Lord Jesus. We ask you to break in and to bring your kingdom in the midst of our world. Bring the change that only you can bring. We love you, Jesus. We're grateful that you're here, that you're moving, that you're alive. come, Lord Jesus, reign in this place, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm 100, one of the most well-known psalms, probably, If you don't have a bible you can read it off the screen that's an option here's what it says psalm 100 verse 1 shout with joy to the lord all the earth worship the lord with gladness come before him singing with joy acknowledge that the lord is god he made us and we are his we are his people the sheep of his pasture enter his gates with thanksgiving go into his courts with praise give thanks to him and praise his name For the Lord is good, and his unfailing love continues forever. His faithfulness continues to each generation. I want to talk about why we worship this morning, and I believe that worship requires movement, like I said, towards God and in our attitudes about God. So I want to lay out from this a few steps that I think that God wants us to take in worship. And the first is this, that in worship we take our focus off of ourselves, and we place it on God where it actually belongs. I love what Richard Foster, who wrote uh, great books like Celebration of Discipline, said about worship in a fairly candid, honest moment. Many times I don't feel like worshiping, and I have to kneel down and say, Lord, I don't feel like worshiping, but I desire to to give you this time. It belongs to you. I will waste this time for you. Friends, worship is not about us. Sometimes we think that it is because we want everything to sound right and, you know, and good and not be distracting, but it's not actually about us, it's about God. It's beneficial for us, it deepens us, it builds us up, it's good for us, we need it, but it's not about us and we can't get that out of order. David immediately sets the story straight when he says, shout to who? To the Lord. Worship who? The Lord. All focus is on God. That is where worship has to be focused on. There's no question about who it's about. You know, honestly, and and I know that this is probably going to push most of our buttons, so including mine, so I'll, I'll say it with that disclaimer. If we come into a worship service saying, what am I going to get out of this? We're asking the wrong question. If we come in saying, I hope that the worship team sounds good today, that they play that song that I really like, that they don't, you know, play anything wrong and have to start and stop or forget to turn on their guitar when they uh, so that it's coming through or, uh, <laughs> you know, like if if we're saying that if we're critiquing and we're like requiring things before we can come into worship, then we're doing it all wrong. That can't be our attitude. Our attitude is on Jesus as we worship, friends. Again, this is going to poke us, but. Are you preparing yourself to worship Jesus before you get here? Or are you requiring these guys to do the work of preparing for you? Are we coming in saying, I'm ready. I've already met with Jesus. I'm ready to go in. Or are we saying, I hope that these guys prayed because I sure didn't. How are we entering worship? Are we expecting to receive worship? are we expecting to point, to acknowledge, and to give to him? What's our heart as we come in? The object of our worship has to be Jesus, nothing less and nothing else. Here's the second thing. In worship, we bring our whole selves before the throne of God as an act of submission. David says to come before him. You know, worship according to the Bible is not just limited to singing songs, which anytime we talk about worship, the the pastor always feels obligated to say, right? To clarify, like it's not just about singing, although that's the main way that we do it in our current uh, structure of of, uh, services. But it's about offering our entire being to God. So the main word for worship in the New Testament is this Greek word that I'm going to butcher, but it says, prosky neo, uh, that's close-ish, uh, which means, and this is, I love this, it literally, this is from like scholars who have created this, it means to kiss the hand, which just makes me think of the godfather, it's like, you know, kiss the ring, dude, you know, like, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I can picture that, but <laughs> it's an act of reverence, uh, it's a physical act, often kneeling, of honor or respect to someone of a superior rank, And again, this next part is actually in, like, the the Greek dictionary for the word. The way to visualize it is that it's related to the way that a dog licks their master's hand. Now, I'm going to admit, I used to think that that was super gross. Like, my wife had a black lab when we started dating. And, you know, they get a little slobber and stuff like that. And so, Sarah would let her dog lick her. And... I was like, we might, you know, need a little bit of distance, like, you know, until you can, like, get those germs off of you. Like, it's kind of weird. I was, I was just not okay with it, if we're going to be honest. Uh, so, but this is church, so I need to confess and be honest. So then we got a dog. And now I understand. <laughs> so I have to take back all of my judgments and, and cruel statements uh, towards, towards Sarah and others because now I'm very happy to let my dog lick my hands and on occasion, I don't do the lips thing because that's still weird to me out of, you know, for being honest. No shame. I won't look anybody in the eye because I don't know who does that, but, you know. Um, but, like, I'll let the dog lick my face. Like, I'm okay with that now. And why? Just because I understand the bond of love differently, right? And that's what this word, worship, is pointing us to. That sort of a bond between master and dog, between us and Jesus is similar to that. That's what the, that's what the people who get paid to do this say. So, you know, it's not just based on me. But listen to how this word's used throughout the, Old Test- the New Testament. So in Matthew 2, when three distinguished gentlemen also known by other names, came and asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. In Matthew 4, 9, and 10, Satan is tempting Jesus. He's been in the desert for 40 days. He's really hungry. He's been fasting that whole time. And then Satan comes and tries to get him to give in. And Satan says, I'll give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. And Jesus replied really strongly, and he said, get out of here, Satan, For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In 1 Corinthians 14.25, Paul says that as they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall on their knees and worship God declaring, God is truly here among you. And in Revelations, in a couple of spots, it says the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne. And all the angels around the throne and the elders and the four living beings, they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped God. Three magi come and bow before a baby in a manger. Uh... Jesus says that there's no chance that he's ever bowing and worshiping in front of anyone other than God. Paul says that if we knew what it was that God knows about us, that we would fall down on our knees and we would prostrate ourselves, lay ourselves out in worship. The the four living beings, the 24 elders, these these beings who are around the presence of God 24-7 for a millennia Every time that they see God in his glory, what do they do? They fall on their knees and they worship. This is the response that we're supposed to have to being in the presence of Jesus. I know that it's not socially acceptable. And honestly, it stops me often, which I'm not happy about. And I need to work on in myself. But when was the last time that we worshiped God in this same way? with the same sort of reverence and whole-bodied submission saying, you are truly God and I am truly not and I need to acknowledge that any time that I'm in your presence. It's not about theatrics. It's about adoration and acknowledging who God is. You know, I think about some of the most transformational worship services I've been in. I, I think about going to this assisted living facility in Columbus, Ohio in my early 20s with my small group in the poor section of Columbus. Uh, And we would do do rotating services with these other small groups for this community that honestly was left. Their families didn't come, nobody came to visit them. We were their visitors for the week. And we would go, and I, I remember going up to the room I don't remember the guy's name, unfortunately, but every week I started the habit of going up and picking up this one guy and I would bring him down. He was in a wheelchair and we we'd talk as we went down the elevator and then I'd sit down next to him and one of my friends would grab their guitar in true vineyard style and start playing uh, a song and we would all sing and worship together. And I remember just the abandon that they had, these people who had nothing and no one worshiping Jesus. I think about being in Zambia in Africa at a leper colony with people who have lost limbs and are dragging themselves across the dirt to come and to hang out with us. And we did a little drum circle and we're standing around and we're singing and we're worshiping. And these people sounded more beautiful than any other choir that you've ever heard. And tears were pouring down the faces of our entire team as we were worshiping with these people who have lost everything, who have been ostracized by society, but who are acknowledging who God is. I think about being in Darien, Connecticut and worshiping with this recovery group called Pivot uh, of men who are in recovery from uh, drugs and alcohol and they would get into it. I mean, they got into it. And so you would come, we would worship with them every week and they would really worship and they would throw whole body engagement And their voices would rise beautifully. And they would just come and throw themselves before God and say, I need you to move. The desperation was obvious. Worshiping with these people was powerful because they knew who God was. And they didn't allow anything to stop them from acknowledging that and laying their whole selves before his throne. They knew that only Jesus could change things. They were desperate and they were joy-filled. Is that our reality when we worship? Here's the next step. In worship, we acknowledge that we need God and we ask him to guide us. David says, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. You know, sheep need a shepherd. They can't get to the pasture on their own very well. They need somebody to lead them there. So if the shepherd's in a bad mood, They're going to be hungry. It's required for them. They need somebody to follow. If the shepherd's not leading them, they'll be hungry for a long time. But there's some grace in this picture because a sheep needs to be led, and so a shepherd comes and leads them. And when they're in the presence of the shepherd, their needs can be known. They can't text the shepherd and say, I'm hungry right now. You know what I mean? They, they don't have opposable thumbs. You know, like that's the thing that makes it hard for them. Uh, so they're not able to do it. They can't phone it in. And what's interesting is that that was the same way that it was for encountering a king during this time. You couldn't ever, you couldn't email, call, uh, text your representative, uh, message. You know, like you couldn't get a message other than by being in the presence of the king. And this is shown in the book of Esther when she needs to go in front of the king. She's the queen and she's worried about all this because her people, the Israelites, are getting ready to be slaughtered in pretty brutal ways. And so she needs to go, so she fasts and prays and she hopes that he's gonna invite her in and he doesn't. So finally she says, I'm just gonna go. And so she goes and she knows the second that she pushes into the throne room that she could die because that's what happens if he doesn't invite you in and he's in a bad mood. But she goes in anyway. She enters in. He has grace, extends the scepter, and hears her request, and everything changes. Friends, we've been phoning it in too much. We've been doing those toss-outs when Jesus is saying, you could come into my presence. You know, in the, the story of when Jesus died, it says that the temple curtain was torn. What that means is that entrance into the presence of God is never limited again. The door is open all the time. We can go into his pasture. We can go into his throne room, whatever imagery you want to use, anytime that we want to. We can walk in, be there in his presence, and say what it is that we need. And he's open. He wants to lead us to his pasture. And when we're in his presence, things happen. This next thing is tied to it. In worship, we wait and we give God time to move. David says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. It's like, come on in. We've got nothing but time. Let's hang out, Jesus. We just need to wait and see what happens. What happens when we wait? We're not a very wait-oriented culture. It's not something we do very well. Uh, When we wait right now, uh, you take out your phone and you stare at it. um, So you can avoid being bored, right? Like we don't know what to do when we wait very well. But 2 Corinthians 3 says, Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. and Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So two things happen when we wait, according to Paul here. One, freedom comes. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. When you're in the presence of Jesus, freedom is going to come. So you might want to stay there as long as you possibly can and soak in all the freedom you can get. And when that happens, the second thing is that we're transformed. The The word for changed in verse 18 means to be literally transfigured. It's the same word that's used in the gospel. When uh, Jesus goes to pray and he goes up on this mountain uh, and as he's standing there praying, all of a sudden he says that his face is transformed in the glory of God. And then Moses and Elijah start coming and they talk to him and it's like a weird thing. And the disciples fall on their face and they're not sure what to do. But it's a moment of transfiguration. It's a moment where the boundary lines between heaven and earth get fuzzy and you're not quite sure what it is that's going on and what it is that you're seeing. And everything seems a little bit different. And in moments where, in worship, we're given these moments of transfiguration, of transformation, where the lines between heaven and earth are blurred. And we could see God a little bit more clearly than we would be able to, where it changes us. And we we're miraculously transformed by his glory. And if that's what waiting looks like, I'm willing to wait for that. That's a good thing. I'm willing to stay here and hang out until those moments come. So here's the last step in our movement of worship. In worship, we rejoice in who God is. It says, for the Lord is good and his unfailing love continues forever. Friends, who is Jesus? He's the creator of everything and he's the one whose return ends everything. He's before all things, and he holds all things together. He's unchanging, which is really good, because that means that he's unshakable. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't run out, and he never runs dry. He's able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. He's omnipotent, all-powerful, and he's kind at the same time. He knows everything And he loves us, not in spite of what he knows, but just because he loves us. We can't outrun him. You can't hide from him, which is really good news because he's everywhere and he's right where you need him to be when you need him to be there. He's wise and he's just, and he moves in moments of injustice and brings his kingdom into our world. He's mercy and he's grace. He's loved and we love him because he loved us first. He chose you. And you're his. He's holy. He's more than you could ever imagine. The Lord is good and his unfailing love endures forever. His faithfulness continues to every generation. That's who Jesus is. Is that someone that you want to worship? Is that someone you want to give your all to without abandon? Worship team, come on up. Sometimes I feel like I don't have the language necessary to deal with what's going on in our world. And in those moments, I worship because I need to be in the presence of someone who knows me and who I am known by. Someone who transforms me. Someone who is other than me. Someone who loves me unconditionally. I need to worship because worship isn't about me. It's about him. And he invites me in to his presence. And that's really good news for people living in a broken world. We need to be in his presence. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you give us this space every week to come and to worship you. To take our eyes off of ourselves, to focus them on you. I thank you in those moments that you come and you move. And I just ask right now that those moments of transformation, of transfiguration will happen this morning where we will encounter you clearly and that will be changed. Jesus, I pray for those of us who need your peace, that we'll encounter it in worship, that we'll encounter your joy. For those of us who have felt overwhelmed, Jesus, I pray for those of us that have felt uh, not worthy of love for us to be aware of your love for us. And I pray for just moments of complete abandon. i saying you're worthy of everything, so I want to give it all to you. Come, Lord Jesus, this is your space. We love you, Jesus. Amen.